0: Hi everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Road Less Travelled podcast. A big thanks for your company, we really appreciate the support that we've been getting. And of course you can listen to the podcast, as you're doing right now, through Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, which used to be Apple iTunes, also Spotify Podcasts, search Google Podcasts for us, and also on iHeartRadio. I've put all four of those platform links up onto our Facebook page as well, so check out Fat Cat Media on Facebook, and you'll get all the links to each and every episode. We're certainly flowing through the episodes in season one of this series, which brings us to our latest podcast episode. And before I get into that, a big thanks for those people who have been supporting us on the Patreon platform as well. And if you want to get in contact with the Roadless Travel podcast, just drop me an email, which is fatcat at That or well, you're able to drop me an SMS by dialing 42 And we certainly uh, welcome any feedback, comments. Um, and also, while speaking of feedback and comments, please give us a share and a like on whatever platform you're listening to the show. It really helps us grow the profile of the show and uh, hopefully onto bigger and better things. And that leads us in to this week's episode of The Road Less Travelled. This week we head to the town of Warburton, which is about seventy kilometres east of Melbourne, and its development began in the year eighteen forty when Victoria was in reality a part then of New South Wales. The state of Victoria was proclaimed in eighteen fifty one with Melbourne as its capital. Before that, the area now known as the Upper Yarra was inhabited by the Yarra- Yarra tribe of Aboriginals, with the arrival of European settlers' tribal number declined. In 1845, Robert Hoddle was the first Survey General of Port Phillip. Journeyed into the upper reaches of the Yarra. The first person recorded as having title to freehold land in the area was a Mr. E. Buller in 1851, who had secured 20 acres. Prior to the discovery of gold in the Yankee Jim. Creek area, the Warburton locality had been included as part of the Parramble Pastoral Run, which was about 16,000 acres, and that was first leased in 1853. In 1858, gold mining commenced in the Upper Yarra at Britannia Creek and in the Reefton and McMahon's Creek districts. Yankee Jim's Creek Goldfield opened in 1859. It was renamed Warburton in 1863 after the gold warden for the district, who was Charles Warburton Carr. In 1864, a liquor licence was issued to Mr Buller and his hotel helped serve the needs of the mining community. In 1864, an approximate map published by the Crown Lands Department incorporated the explorations and the findings of Mr Paynton, a one-time gold warden for the district. Now, the gold mine in the area was mainly alluvial, alluvial, rather, which is opposed to reef, and deposits were reported to be of the most substantial character. The wash was 2 feet or 600 millimetres thick at a depth of 70 feet, which is 21 metres, resting on a granite bottom with nuggets of 7 ounces, 200 grams, in weight. In 1870, a water wheel was built at Warburton to drive a battery which crushed the the gold-bearing rock. This was located at the Shining Star Mine, one of the few reef mines in the area. As alluvial deposits became exhausted, miners went to Woods Point where larger reefs existed and by the late 1890s, most of the easy gold had been found and prospectors had moved on, leaving only a few settlers in the town. Now, the name Warburton has been shared between two townships over the years. The mining town of Yankee Jim's Creek was located on the gold-bearing slopes of Mount Little Joe and that was renamed Warburton after the mining warden of the district, Charles Warburton Carr, as we already spoke of. The gold depletion caused a declining population in the 1880s, so the town was renamed Old Warburton, and the town of Upper Warburton on the banks of the Yarra was renamed Warburton. Confused? No, it's all good, it's all good. In the 1880s, a new road, which is now the Warburton Highway, was cut along the Yarra River, ending further development of Old Warburton. Our population shift to the Scotsmans Creek area, where the Albert, the Alberton, where the Alpine Retreat Hotel was built and currently still sti- still still sits, occurred for commercial benefit, causing the re-establishment of Warburton as the tourist and timber town that we know now. So we'll talk later on about the timber industry, which has pretty much been the, I guess, the mainstay of the town. My interest therefore goes back, rewind to that famous word, gold, and what. Uh, What sort of inspired people to come out here of course was the gold rush, they were desperate to find gold and as we've already heard they found all the easy gold which is the alluvial gold, mainly the surface gold. So I thought to myself well being of the area were all these gold mines and to paint a picture for you that may not be aware of it's mountain country. Uh, it's dense uh, undergrowth thick trees big tall mountain ash uh, gum trees so when you do go exploring it's sometimes like you see it's basically like a jungle so when you go off exploring you need to have all your maps about you and do a plenty of research which is what I did I sat down And over the course of probably two or three weeks, poured over some previous old gold maps, some exploration, and just went in search of where these gold mines were. And happily, I found one. So we went out and explored the remnants, I'm not going to tell you exactly where it is, it's in the Warburton area, of an old gold mine. after a lot of research and bush bashing, we found the site of the Lady Hopeton mine. The area is in thick undergrowth, but there is extensive areas of benching on the steep slopes. Um, there are at least two levels of tramway and, water, and there's also uh, remnants of a water race and the excavation for a mine at it. Now the site has a clearly defined mullock heap, which extends from a cutting down into the gully. And When I say cutting into the gully, you were trying to walk on a 45 degree angle. In some places, we were slipping and sliding down the actual hill, so it's pretty steep country. And speaking of that Mullock heap, heap, as I said, it extends from a cutting in the gully and it runs to the northwest for about 50 metres on a level, uh, eventually standing about 10 metres above the gully, of the gully. Above the gully. A further rock spoil heap is evident further down this gully. Uh, this is a clear evidence of the spoil which would have been re- re- removed and reduced from the mine. There was another uh, level area to the northwest and the southeast which indicate that the locations of former tracks, the water race and building sites were all terraced into the side of the hill. That's how we found where we were um, and sort of had a bit of a mud map of uh, exploration that had been done and were able to dive back into the archives and find a a map of the area and where these places were located. So once you have that in the back of your mind, you go out with your map, then you're able to use your mind's eye and think, hey, that doesn't look like it belongs there, and that's how you sort of start your research and therefore your exploration. The Lady Hopeton Mine was established in about 1888 or 89 when W.Y., Why? He found gold at the head of Scotchman's Creek and formed a small company called the Lady Hopton Gold Mining Company, which was managed by a Mr. Murphy. They initially drove a tunnel into the hillside and followed this with another 75 feet lower down. They erected a 10 head battery, which was run by water from what we already discovered was the old water race. So what they did is they diverted a creek. By just digging an, a, a water race, which is basically hand digging, hand digging a channel to divert the water, which is what is used to power the battery. Um, so they cleaned out this water, this water race, or um, well, you might say um, it is a water race. It's probably, if well, I try and give you some measurements, about a meter wide, um, and probably maybe what's that? About fifty to sixty centimeters in depth. The mine had to cut through granite boulders and that's how we also found the mine as well because we were wandering through and there's these giant granite uh, outcrops and I knew that they had to cut through the granite boulders and I said, well, here we are, there's granite here, Uh, there's a granite outcrop, we're close to where we need to be. They reached the dike about five foot wide, uh, while the cost of the race was put at about £10,000, which is a considerable amount of money back in those days. However, in October 1890, the shareholders met to consider winding the company up. So it's only been running at that stage for a year. Uh, Mr Wildman guided the Upper Yarra Tourist Club to the site in 1891 and And the area remained a local scenic spot for some time, which was indicated by a postcard of the nearby Lady Hopeton Fern Gully. J. Houston was managing in July 1891 and in 1892 a third tunnel was being driven and the tramway was being repaired due to having been damaged by floods. In 1892 the company appears to have founded with the Sheriff's Office taking court action and by 1905 the mine appears to have been just idle. The mine was described as long abandoned when it was still being visited in the late 1930s. The mine standing uh, stands about 20 metres above the bottom of the gully and the mine is known to have been supplied with water from a renovated water race which of course we also found. There's no information that I could find as to how much gold they actually got out of there but obviously if it's only been running for a couple of years and it was shut down even well they looked at shutting it down and winding it up within one year. Um, it shows that there wasn't that much, uh, deep reef gold that they were able to find. And of course, alluvial gold sheds from these reef sources. So they know that when they're finding alluvial gold, the surface gold, uh, gold is a lazy thing and will travel, um, sort of the easiest route down. They know that the, that the reef gold is actually shredding or shedding rather this alluvial gold which they find further on down. So that's a little bit of what we found with this old gold mine. It wasn't like you could walk in and, and uh, just walk in. It was all overgrown and been collapsed Old trees have fallen over, and obviously to protect people, at some point, uh, and would have been the I think 1960 fires, 1990 fires, of course the 1939 fires that would have affected that area. So, the um, undergrowth was just out of control, and as I said, um, the mine entrance had collapsed. Um, Wombats had used a burrow. We found another uh, entrance to the mine as well, which could have been some sort of what's the terminology there is a term i can't think of it right now but um they send another shaft down to a, uh, help activate the breathing um so to allow fresh air to get through and circulate through the mine so they actually dig another shaft down and i've forgotten the name of that term bear with me i'll, I'll find it um so yeah it was pretty much underground you overgrown you can check out some of the photos uh, that we've put up on our Facebook page um, to show you a little bit about what we saw and as I said to you there's not much there when well, I'm just having to click through it now to be able to denote that it was a, a massive mine and there's no photos that we could find either in doing the research to help us um, find out exactly where the location was it was a bit of a hit and miss but we found it in the end and that's what it's all about it's doing a little bit of research and the the proof and excitement is when you actually your research comes together and you find a location that you've been searching for. So once the gold dries up they need to find some form of industry to take over and the timber industry took that over in in Warburton as the gold ran out. Axemen cut wagon loads of palings which were taken over these rough bush tracks to Lilydale which was the railhead at the time. The railway was extended to Warburton in 1901 Now numerous sawmills and timber tramways developed throughout the area supplying timber to the train line for transport to Melbourne. The narrow gauge tramways were so named because an act of parliament prevented anyone but the government from operating train lines. So steam and diesel engines were used to power the sawmills and haul the logs. In some cases the logs were actually lifted by cable and pulley high above the ground to carry them to the mills and the rail heads. In more remote areas, horses were used to pull empty bogies up the graded lines. When loaded with logs, the bogies would run downhill under the control of a braking system. The mills provided work for all who wanted it, and the towns such as Powell Town sprang up around some of these mills. A few of the timber tramway tracks remain open to walkers, but chainsaws, bulldozers, and timber jinkers replaced the older methods of felling and transporting timber. Now a few of the timber tramway tracks remain open to walkers um, and this area is just um, awash with them. Again if you can do some research you find the timber tramways, the old mills and most of these tramways now are walking trails or have been developed into four wheel drive trails as well. In the years from 1900 to 1950, about 1.75 million tonnes of timber was sent by Forest Tramway and Railway, and it was a mountain of ash. 66 major sawmills and many smaller mills were established in the bush surrounding the town. Now, railway was a major force in transportation, and in 1901 the railway from Lilydale to Wesburn, Millgrove and Warburton opened, which was linked to an amazing system of wooden and steel rail tramways. Over, or there was over 320 kilometres of tramways operating in the region. Horse, steam locomotives, bullocks and rail tractors were employed in hauling the timber along the rails. Logging initially saw entire mountainsides ultimately denuded of most trees, particularly on the slopes of Mount Stonabuang, Ben Can and Mount Victoria. By the late 1920s, most of the prime timber near Warburton had been logged. It was absolutely just raised, and the activity had moved further out of the forest of Big Patch Creek, Starvation Creek, Cement Creek, the Mississippi Creek, Big Patch Creek, Reefton, McMahon's Creek, and beyond. Powell Town area too was also heavily logged, with a merging with the Warburton area of Starling Gap. The big fear in sawmilling is bushfires and catastrophic bushfires of 1898, 1902, 1906, 1923, 32, and 1939 devastated much of the forests around Warburton. And this came with a terrible loss of life and property which resulted in the government back in 1940 forcing all surviving mills to relocate outside the forests. And like the gold industry, unfortunately, the timber industry has proved to be not as sustainable as the gold industry. So that has dwindled out as well, which has put pressure on a lot of the smaller towns, which used to rely on both timber and gold, of course, uh, back in their heydays. Speaking of gold, I had the opportunity to do the McMahon's Creek Goldfields Walk and um it's a pretty heavy walk i've got to say Uh, i was planning on revisiting a walk i did there about a year ago Um, the walk starts on the Yarra river to the east of Warburton and then explores uh, the historic gold mining area before looping back to the car park via some pretty tough ridges the area was badly burned in the ash wednesday fires back in 1983 and is getting back to normal you can still see the remnants of some of that damage so parking at the Little Peninsula Picnic Ground is the first objective for the day. It was to check out the Little Peninsula Tunnel. The tunnel itself was cut by the miners back in the eighteen late 1890s to divert the water from the Yarra River through a spur and thus drain a section of the river to mine. The old miners certainly weren't afraid of hard work. After getting a photo of the tunnel, I then headed up the wide grassy, sort of, um, a, It's like a knoll, I was going to say the knoll, but it's like a grassy area that covers the Melbourne water pipeline that that runs from uh, the Upper Yarra Reservoir. You you spend quite a fair fair bit of time uh, walking or crossing this grassy bit. Uh, The grass made for some fairly easy walking, but being in the middle of winter, it's pretty damp and pretty slippery too. You um, to grabbed a couple of sticks to use because they were coming and having given me uh, some added purchase on the steep climbs and helping with balances. I slid down some of the steep slopes like a downhill skier. She was uh, pretty slippery. Climbing to the top of the first steep pinch, I came across a blocked sidetrack with a notice informing me that the Goldfields track was closed until further notice. Now, as you would think, that shouldn't have been a real problem except that the side track was my return route and the Goldfields track was about 90% of today's walk. After considering the dilemma for a few moments, I decided to do what any responsible bushwalk would do, and that was to push on and see how I go. Now, some people might think that that's Nikki being very irresponsible. Perhaps it is, but over the years, I've seen tracks and spots closed for absolute ages, if not years, with only a limited amount of time left on this planet. I am keen to experience everything I can. And by the way, this is in no way a criticism of my Parks Victoria or the Rangers on the ground. They all do the best they can with the budgets they're giving. That's my little disclaimer. So after slipping and sliding my way on the grassy track for a while, I came to my next point of interest, which was the Big Peninsula Tunnel. And yeah, you guessed it, it's another tunnel diverting the Yarra through another spur dug by the old time miners. As the name implies, this tunnel was a little bigger and the downstream side had a nice picnic area, which would be a pretty good spot for a swim on a hot day. However, with the temperature hovering around the single digits, there's no swimming for me. The white water, however, provided a couple of opportunities for me to muck around with my uh, camera and also my GoPro as well, which I'll put up on the Facebook page. There's also some stepping stones that, that can be used when the water's low to cross the Yarra, but you wouldn't want to do that in this type of year. So leaving Big Peninsula Tail, I headed off on the Goldfields track. Now I know I'm not totally stupid and I had a couple of ideas in my mind about why parks had seen fit to close the track. The first issue I thought about was the track was probably overgrown with the propensity of our early miners to dig mine shafts at random intervals in the scrub. It would be pretty dangerous to leave the track to go around uh, any, tree, any tree falls or overgrown sections. So the second reason I figured that they might have closed it was as some of the hardware of the track had fallen into disrepair. So stay with me here. Once Parks Victoria have put a safety control measure in which a being a bridge, a boardwalk, handrail, then they have to make sure that they um, have a control measure, that that control measure it's, is safe. If it's not, then having done, as they do, a risk assessment deeming the need for the control in the first place, they are then liable. Anyway, now everybody is asleep, it's time to start walking again. The next section of the track contoured around the bush above the Yarra River. The track itself was pretty overgrown, but nothing to worry about. There was uh, plenty of evidence of mining with some large sluicing gullies just off the track that were now revegetated with ferns. The bush itself consists of fairly dry heath and eucalyptus forest once I move further away from the river. Again, very overgrown, um, a lot of undergrowth as well. The route passes through plenty of old gullies formed while the miners were, were sluicing for gold. Meeting my grassy uh, pipeline again, I now started climbing up to Observation Road, which I met at the top of another steep and slippery grassy climb. The goldfields track now looped through the area of old mine, shaft, re- old, old mine shafts, reaching a section of boardwalk that looks like it was used about in the last Indiana. Ge- in the Anna Jones movie. Uh, So I figured now it's time to be really careful. The boardwalk weaved its way around some old mine shaft that looked very dodgy. Um, So you just got to be careful. I know that they still haven't upgraded it. Some of that boardwalk is still rotten. So safely over the decaying section of track, I now had another easy section along a closed dirt road before steeply climbing up a spur alongside another old water race. This section was a little overgrown, but nothing to worry about. Finding a few things to photograph on the climb allowed me to get my breath back as this is the last big climb of the walk, I was hoping anyway. Unfortunately I wasn't quick enough to get a shot of the male lyrebird bird as it scampered across the track in front of me. Um, the Dodgers bit of the track is there's some fences around the old mine shafts where the bo- boardwalk was totally rotten and, and very mossy underfoot. Uh, so just be careful. There are um, some signs up to say be aware. And there's also a lot of old stumps around that have got the slots where the old loggers used to insert the plank to stand on and, and then fell the tree. So just something a little bit random to throw Crossing Observation Road again, I now started along an old water race that contoured the side of the hill. Now, normally this would mean some easy walking, but I wasn't so sure today because it started bucketing down with with rain. The old water race is overgrown to start with, and and it only got worse the further along I went. Um, After 20 minutes, I got an old closed mine shaft in the side of the hill. I saw that, uh, which provided an opportunity to stop for a bit. And I also checked out a geocache that won't be getting many visitors for a while as well. Leaving the old mine, the track deteriorated a lot. It was now uh, a a chance for me just to concentrate on staying on the correct route. Um, Long sections of the track were completely overgrown, and while it was possible to stay on the correct route, I really had to keep on my, my wits about me. The worst sections were where I had to leave the alignment of the old water race and climb through fallen trees. It would say you've got to just have your map, your compass, and your GPS. Um, I eventually emerged from the scrub wa- onto a wide fire track, and thankfully, I had decided to bring uh, a change of socks as well for the return journey because uh, I was absolutely saturated. So, if you have the opportunity, make sure that you do carry some spares in your backpack. So by this stage it was about two hours before it got dark so I set off with a bit of urgency. Uh, luckily the fire track provided for some pretty easy walking with after an, uh, a counter with a deer that came out of the bush. I don't know who was more frightened, who, him or me. I popped out at the top of my first climb of the day on that grassy hill again and the weather started to close in even more so I packed up and slid most of the way back down uh, the hill back to the Uh, banks of the Yarra at Little Peninsula and that's where I left it to retrace my route over the river back to the car stopping for a last finish photo of the day before heading off home. First up the walk is sometimes closed and while I'm a bit casual about rules and regulations there's normal reasons that parks have uh, closed a walk. So just uh, make sure. I walked 11.6 kilometers on that one uh, making sure again I have a GPS on my phone, I have a compass and I had a map just to make sure. Be aware some sections are extremely overgrown, mossy and slippery so just be prepared with some good sturdy walking boots. Um, Make sure that you check your map. The little loop on the Yarra River is Little Peninsula, which is the start of the walk. The bigger loop um, is the Big Peninsula. So just be aware of that if you do happen to do the walk. And whilst you're out in the Warburton area, there's plenty of places for accommodation and places to eat, such as the Alpine Retreat Hotel. You've also got Symphony 36, plenty of cafes, such as um, the Riverview Cafe, Cafe Little Joe's. Uh, There's uh, pizza, there's all kinds, um, BT Dubs, Three Sugars. They've even got a bakery as well. So please support the local towns. They really uh, need it with the whole various COVID lockdowns that have seriously impacted on tourism and uh, a lot of businesses have closed, not just in Warburton, but in other areas as well, trying, they just haven't been able to recover from the impact of uh, of lockdowns and uh, obviously reduced trade. So um, where you can, please support the little people. There is a caravan park in... Uh, Warburton as well where you can stay for accommodation and if you head up towards McMarns Creek of course there's a historic Reefton Hotel Um, there's plenty of eateries around plenty of accommodation and there's also plenty of activity for mountain bikes dirt biking as well and uh, four wheel driving and you never know you might find some gold who knows. Jump onto the Warburton Valley Information website and you've got plenty of walks you can do. Also, you can head up to Mount Donabue and check out the snow and, again, further walks afield. You've just got to Google it and uh, check out some of the walks or head into the local visitor centre when you are in the Warburton area. We Mm. will talk a little bit more about uh, some walks that you can do in and around Melbourne and in and around your local area, being Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth also, Darwin and Hobart will do some uh, local walks that you can do in your local area. That's it for this week's edition of the podcast. I trust you've enjoyed it. Feedback is always welcome. You can do that by dropping me an email, fatcat at iinet.net.au or drop us a line um, via text on 042 752 8467. My name is Nikki. You've been listening to the Roadless Travel podcast. Bye for now. We'll you